Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you again for joining me for our podcast. I'm always excited to be able to uh, share with people who are avid learners, people who go out of their way to begin to just expand their uh, spiritual, mental, and even physical potential to be able to be better in the future than they've been in the past. And I know all of you that are listening to this podcast, that's the nature of who you are. Today, I want to wrap my arms around a lesson called Seven Principles of Trauma. Uh, This is not a new lesson. It's one that I've done in years past and even on my monthly leadership subscription that is more detailed leadership thought than what I put on the podcast. I had done a form of it, but I really wanted to put this out on a podcast level because I thought it would just gain a little bit different kind of reach and maybe help people in different areas. So today I want to talk to you about seven principles of trauma. And let me just start with what the Bible says. In Luke chapter 13, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, begins to talk. And he begins to talk about two horrible events that happen. He talks about a group of Galileans that were literally slaughtered. And the blood from the slaughter was literally poured into uh, the sacrifices that they were making. It was horrible. It was senseless. It's one of those things you shake your head at and you said, how can that even exist? But then on the other hand, there was another trauma that he talks about, and that is of 18 people who died when a tower fell. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Jesus probably addresses one of the fundamental questions that people ask, and that is, why did this happen? And he poses the question, do you think this happened because these people had done something wrong? And that if they did something wrong, that what they did wrong was worse than what anyone else had done wrong? Well, the reality is this. He said, that's not the case. It's not because someone did something wrong. And what Jesus was doing was he was sort of establishing the baseline. In this world, there are moments of trauma. And they're not because anyone did anything wrong, but because this world is in trauma. We know theologically, if you go back to the days of Adam, that Adam was given a unique position in this world. And that position was he was given authority. That authority was so that he could accomplish the will, the purpose, and the intent of God. But he did something. He took this authority and he gave it away. And he gave it away to the one individual who would use that authority in the most vile way, and that is the devil. And yes, if you're listening to this, there is a devil, and that devil is set to do things in people's lives. Jesus said he's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And it's because of that there are times when people who did nothing wrong are caught in circumstances where trauma begins to occur. That being said, What this story tells us is that trauma is not new. It's not something that is brand new to our generation. Now, it's true we may hear of more trauma than other people have ever heard of, but the fact of the matter is is that because of 
platforms out there and the ability to get news from any place in the blink of an eye, we get to hear more of it. But trauma's always been a part. So that leads us to just three thoughts at the beginning. Everyone faces trauma. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. And unfortunately, people will experience tough and difficult times. It's not only that everyone faces trauma, but everyone feels trauma. Every time we begin to see a a senseless death, there's something that we feel and we sort of recoil at it. But then everyone should help other people who are in trauma. And those are the three concepts that I believe are laid out throughout the Bible. Everyone faces trauma, everyone feels trauma, and everyone should help others during trauma. Now, that being said, I want to give you seven keys to trauma. Now, these keys were principles that I've had to live out multiple times. But there's one story, and unfortunately it's a true story, that I've had to operate these principles in. It starts at 8.30, around that time at night. Jenny and I are beginning to get to the close of our day, and the phone rings. I often tell people, you can tell if you're a pastor, and that is when the phone rings at night, you hope that it's a telemarketer. Why is that? Because no one calls your home at night if you're a pastor and tells you good news. When I pick up the phone, what I'm going to hear is a staff member telling me, Pastor, I need your help. I immediately begin to inquire and say, what's going on? He says, well, there's a young man in our church whose family's been in a car accident. But it's really one of the most traumatic accidents I had ever heard about. See, this man had a six-month-old. He had another child that was about 18 months old. And then he had another child that was a little bit around three. The mom had gone to Toys R Us to buy bikes for the little boys. But on her way back, she had been in an accident. And this man is going to lose his three kids and his wife and one afternoon. Yeah, he's going to go from a family of five to a family of one. The pastor who was on my team called me and he said, Pastor, I just got to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I know what to do. Can you come? I immediately got in the car and I started heading out to the destination where I was going to be able to see this individual. And um, it took me about 20 minutes. One of the things that I always tell people that are in real leadership positions, you don't have much time to warm up. You don't have much time to get ready, and hopefully on your good days, you've prepared yourself to help people during their bad days. But I'm going to get there, and I'm literally going to walk into a house. This house is filled with people, but it's not just filled with people. It's filled with people who are grieving. Now, you have to understand, when I walk into this house, there's probably somewhere around 15 to 20 people there. The individual that had just lost his his three boys and had lost his wife, is sitting in a chair over in the corner. When I walk in, everyone stops and stares at me. It's going to be one of those things that immediately they're all thinking, well, what's he going to do? He's the pastor. And as I tell people many times as a minister, you have to show up and represent the love of God when it feels like God doesn't love. 
because if God was really a God of love, why would this man be going through this? So I walk over to him. Principle number one, never try to help a person in the middle of a crowd. When I went over to him, I looked him in the eye and I just said to him and I said his name. I said, I'm so sorry. But I looked at him and I could sense the environment around was just filled with grief, which you could appreciate. But I knew if I was going to help him, I couldn't help him in the crowd. So what I said is I said, will you come outside with me? I'd like to talk to you. I would just remind you of how many times Jesus talked about where he put someone out of a room. He took someone out of a house and even at times he took people out of a city. Because sometimes if you're going to help someone, you're going to have to change the environment that they're in. So you never try to help a person in the middle of a crowd that is just filled with trauma. And so I took him outside and we just began to walk and I began to express to him uh, my heartache at what he was doing. And when I looked at him, I just began to talk and Honestly, I'm saying things that really didn't matter. But I knew that what was about to happen would be the most critical thing that would happen that night. And that is, I looked him in the eyes and I said, I need you to give me 24 hours. I need 24 hours from you. Will you look at me and give me 24 hours? See, this was a man who had just lost everything. And two things could happen. One, because this crash was caused by someone else who did live, and because he had just lost everything, I was thinking, this guy's either going to kill himself or he's going to try to kill the person who caused this. So I looked him in the eye and I said, hey, will you give me 24 hours? So the first principle is you never try to help a person in the middle of a crowd. But number two, you create time so that you can stabilize the situation. Now, I didn't ask him for weeks. I didn't ask him for months. I didn't ask him for years. Because you've got to deal with the time element that is reasonable for them to give. And that time element has to be something that they can contribute. And that time element has to be something that they can easily do. And that is just simply this that you've got to be able to create time. I looked him in the eye and said, all I'm asking, I'm not asking for two days, will you give me 24 hours? Because here's what I knew. If he had given me 24 hours, as horrible as this seemed, it was going to create an opportunity for me to stabilize the emotions. It was going to create an opportunity for me to begin to create with him the necessary things to get him going after this. So I've learned that in trauma, I never try to help a person in the middle of the crowd because the crowd, what they're feeling will overwhelm what you're trying to do. And two, I always create time and I try to stabilize the situation. I try to find a reasonable amount of time and just give them the opportunity to react to that. And three, I don't allow others to try to steal the moment. This is one of the things that I've never understood in all the years that I've been a pastor. 
why when someone's going through trauma, someone else walks up to them and says, I know what you feel. Well, I've been through this. I call that hijacking. It's somebody who maybe has lost someone in their life, who has gone through a hard time that may have been equal to that. But can I tell you something? When someone's going through trauma, they do not want to hear about your problem. They just want to be in a situation where you give them a sense of your presence and your love. So I've literally stood so many times where someone says, I know exactly what you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. Well, this happened to me. And I'm telling you the exact same thing may have happened. But you know what? Don't ever try to interject your emotions in your moment into someone else's life. Just look at them and be honest and say, I hurt for you. Look at them and say, I wished I could do more, but I'm going to be here for you. Look at them and say, hey, in my life right now, I want to do for you whatever I can do. And just be the friend. Be the individual that's going to focus on them. Because at that particular point, they don't care about your trauma. They don't care what you've been through. That may help down the road, but it doesn't help in those first moments. It for sure doesn't help at the funeral. When people come by and say, well, I lost a child also. Well, my wife died also. None of that adds to the equation. So one of the things that I looked at him, I said, you know that people are going to try to steal this moment. But right now, this isn't about what someone else has been through. This is about where you're at. And we're going to help you to get through it. So, number one, never try to help a person in the middle of a crowd. Number two, create time and stabilize the situation. Number three, other people will always try to steal the moment. But number four, don't try to answer questions that you can't. See, in the middle of trauma, it's not when you talk about theology. In the middle of trauma, it's not when you try to make sense of things. I looked at him and I just said, hey, you understand that there are going to be people who are going to come in and they're going to say some of the most outlandish things. And I said, let me give you one of those outlandish things. That because of what you're going through, there will be a day when you will be able to minister to so many people. And because you've lost your three sons and your wife, that you're going to be able to help people who've gone through such uh, trauma in such circumstance. And I looked at him and I said, I need to be honest with you. If the only way you can have a ministry is to lose your three kids and your wife, then that's a ministry that I don't want you to have. But I don't believe in any way that this happens so that he can minister to others. Whether you lose a child or don't lose a child, whether you've lost a wife or you haven't lost a wife, it's presence, it's love, it's prayer that makes the difference. But I don't try to answer all the questions. I don't try to make sense of the moment. I don't sit there and say, hey, let me tell you theologically why the nuances of trauma happen in this world. I don't try to do that. I'm focused on an individual. I'm focused on a person. I'm not trying to get my advanced MD in theology at that time. I'm just there for them. And what I'd say is one of the worst things we can ever do 
is to try to make sense of a tragic moment at the very outset. I don't try to answer the high spiritual questions. I just look at them and I say, I understand you have questions. I wished I could answer them. I wish that I could give you so many steps and so many ways to be able to handle it. I wished I could. But that being said, I can't. You know, being able to say I don't know is really liberating because you know what you've said to that person is you may not know. And the simple truth of the matter is is that when you try to answer every possible question and resolve it, you lose sight of the person that you need to help. Number five, always be honest about what's ahead. What is ahead? See, there are things that happen in trauma that I can't change. But usually what's going to happen in the future is just going to be a part of the future. I can't stop it from happening. But on the other hand, what I can tell you is, is that it will happen. So I looked at him and I said, as we began to walk through the next few days and weeks, I said, you need to know three things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to feel an anger that's going to be unlike any anger you've ever felt. You're going to find yourself being mad. In fact, you're going to find yourself being mad for no reason. And you're going to find yourself wanting to take out your anger on someone who really hasn't done anything wrong. And you need to know that. I can't stop the fact that you're going to feel that way. And I can't stop the fact that you're going to only react that way. But what I can do is I can tell you that when it comes, it's a part of the journey of grief. So I looked at him and I said, hey, when that anger comes, express it towards God. The second thing, I said, you will experience the lowest low that you've ever experienced. See, when trauma happens, adrenaline takes over. Adrenaline is one of those things that uh, just begins to uh, pump us up and, and gives us the surge to keep going. But what happens is after the events and usually the funeral are over, there's no longer any potato salad and fried chicken to eat and people have now gone home, the adrenaline stops. And what's going to happen is when there's that adrenaline depletion, you're going to feel as low as you've ever felt. And I looked at him and I said, and it's going to be easy for you to think, I don't feel anything. Why is it that I'm so numb? And I said, don't let that numb feeling get the best of you. It is just your body reacting on the other end from an adrenaline surge. And when you deal with that particular moment, just understand that every feeling is distorted in the way it's distorted when you're on adrenaline. It is distorted when you're off adrenaline. And so you'll feel low and you'll think, I'll never feel better again. So I said, there will be moments of anger. There will be times when you will feel extremely low. And then thirdly, there will be periods of temptation. When people have gone through extreme trauma, here's what I've noticed. It's during these periods that they're tempted to do something. I've watched people who've never been on drugs get addicted to drugs. I've watched people who never drank begin to get uh, drunk for the very first times in their life. 
I've watched people that have never done, and you can list the kind of things that people are tempted to do, and they all begin to have these temptations. And I said, here's what I can tell you. If you'll understand that these three things will come your way, then you'll be prepared to handle them. When the anger comes, you'll know it's a part of the process. When the lows come, you'll understand that it is the sequencing of what's next. And when the temptation comes, you'll be able to react and you'll be able to handle. So I'm always honest with people about what's ahead. I never let them lose sight of really what is going on. Number six, don't run from the emotion of the moment. Now, this was a good Texas country boy. He's a good man. But what I told him is, I said, if you're mad at God, I don't want you to run from the emotion. I want you to get in your car, in his case, truck, because he's a good Texas kid. And I want you to close the doors. I want you to roll up the window. And I want you to scream as loud as you can. I want you to tell God that you can't believe it. I want you to articulate the fact that you feel this way. Because here's what I know. When emotion is avoided, it can never become healthy again. And I know that if people will just be honest in their expression, and people say, oh, you don't want to say that. We're people of faith. Hey, can I ask you to read the Psalms? Have you ever seen what David said in his dark moments? Have you ever seen him express regret, anger, disappointment, frustration, bitterness? If you've ever read the Psalms, you're reading about the internal aspects of someone's life. And what I found is if you can get them to voice those things to God, what will happen is God will start working. It may be small. It may not be something that they notice at the time. But if they will make sure that those emotions are spoken. Number seven, minister hope and hurt. But you can't do both. Here's what I'm saying with that phrase. In a recovery process, there are going to be people who are going to really give them hope for tomorrow. And then there's people who are going to be able to say, you know what, you can survive the hurt. But what I found is, is that usually the person who's going to help them with the hurt and the person who's going to give them hope, they're not always the same person. And that's all right. Because anytime someone goes through a trauma, I found out that I always end up creating a team of people. A team of people who may write, who may call, who may inspire, who may encourage. People who are going to go dark into the hurt of the thing. And then people who are going to uplift in the hope of the circumstance. Now, I say all this to say that that young man ended up moving on in life. Eventually, he remarried. Eventually, he had more kids. Does he miss his three boys and his wife? Yeah. Does he have a future that's bright? Yes. He's a good man. But it all took time. 
and it was all the engagement of seven principles. Never try to help a person in the middle of the crowd because the environment of the crowd will usually kill the opportunity. Create time and stabilize the situation. Ask them for time, something that's reasonable, something that they can give. Warn them that other people are going to try to steal the moment. But recognize that that moment belongs to them. Don't try to answer every question. In fact, it's all right to say, I just don't know. And be honest with them about what's ahead. Talk to them about feelings of anger, about the lows that come, and the temptations that will arise. Don't run from the emotion. Let it be the kind of thing that you will express to God in a safe setting. And understand that in trauma, you've got to minister to both the hope of tomorrow and you've got to take care of the hurt of today. But usually, it's going to take different people. And I've usually been the one who got to handle the hurt And usually there was someone in their future who would come and really help them with the hope. So what I'm saying to you is these are seven things that unfortunately I've lived out time and time again. And that being said, I just want you to know that I think that in any level of leadership, you're going to find people in trauma and you're going to be the person who can help them. Maybe these guidelines will help you. I hope they do. Hey, I want to let you know that I have some um, roundtable moments coming up. I have a roundtable that will be coming up in Tyler, Texas. And I just want to encourage you that uh, Tyler will be a great place uh, for you to come if you're out in that area of the country. And you can go to my website, Gerald Brooks Ministries, and you can sign up for it. I also have another one in Cary, North Carolina. And then I have one that's going to be in Toronto, uh, Canada. And then I have one that's going to be near Oakland, California. So if you're going to be in any of these areas, I want to encourage you. It's an opportunity for you to sign up to get involved. Uh, The material is new every year. It gives us an opportunity to interact. And what I can tell you is all the roundtables that I've done this year have been the largest ones ever. And they've just been effective in helping people advance their leadership skills. Well, thank you so much for listening. And I hope so much that you'll utilize uh, the information that we've given you. Yeah, I understand it's a little bit tough information. But the nature of leadership is you're with people on their best days and you're with people on their toughest days. And I know you'll be a great leader in both. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.